Dear Bernadette Joy is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. Now offering video visits so you can take control of your orthopedic care from the comfort of your home. Schedule online at orthocarolina.com. Ortho Carolina, you improved. Hey guys, it's Bernadette Joy. I'm the founder at Crush Your Money Goals and I am super excited to present to you this next season where I'm going to be answering your questions. Since I started this company in 2016, I have fielded thousands of questions about personal finance and I am here to tell you what you want to know based on my personal experience and having worked with many of you. And all of these questions are not just related to money, but also how it affects our personal life, our family, our careers, and everything that we care about in our daily life. So welcome to season four, Dear Bernadette Joy. Hey everybody, it's Bernadette Joy and I decided to switch gears for this episode because so many questions not only come to me, but to this other guy. His name is AJ and he happens to be my husband. Hello everybody, this is AJ. (laughs) And he got dragged into the studio today because I often get questions on social media and a lot of times people are wondering what AJ's thoughts are. And while I, if you couldn't tell, am the bigger mouth of the two of us, he has a lot of great advice and tips. And as much as people think that we're on the same page a lot of times, we actually have a lot of differing views even when it comes to money. And so AJ, do you want to introduce yourself? Sure. Uh, (laughs) I'm AJ Mollian. Uh, the husband of Bernadette Joy, and uh, I've been riding on this journey. I've taken a back seat at times, also driven the car at times. No pun intended uh, once we talk about downsizing to one car, but but yeah, it's been fun and uh, cannot, you know, think less of it. Awesome. So this episode, we're going to actually ask AJ the questions, and I'm going to do as little Uh-oh. talking as possible. <laughs> and I've had little preparation in advance, but On we purpose. will, uh, yeah, we will, we'll see how it goes. Awesome. All right. And so you've already alluded to the first question, and I'm going to ask you this. The first question I have is from JC on Instagram. Hey, JC. And she said, I was curious if you ever would consider sharing your advice for going down to one car for a couple. I remember you did something similar early on, so I thought I would ask. My husband and I are considering it as we both are working from home a lot, and he has a work vehicle. It seems like a very smart decision for the next 6 to 12 months, but it's a big one. So yes, I think there's a lot of follow-up questions uh, that you could have on that. For your particular situation, I mean, if you say your husband has a work vehicle, now I'm thinking, does that mean you guys currently have three vehicles? And if that is the case and you foresee yourselves working from home uh, in the near future and and a little bit beyond and you still have that work vehicle, and then depending on, you know, where each of you guys go to work, you know, obviously if somebody goes one direction and the other person goes in the opposite direction, you know, going down to one vehicle uh, may not make sense, you know, if you didn't have that work vehicle. But just generally speaking, again, a a lot of factors come into play. You and your partner, you know, have different things 
that you do for fun. You know, like if he always goes to the gym after work or, you know, you guys go separate ways, you know, during your free time away from each other, uh, then it might not make sense to drop down to one vehicle because that means either, you know, someone has to sacrifice and go the one way or you, you know, have different times when you're doing your own things so that you're not conflicting and uh, the other person can help drive. But also, you know, I think for us, my personal, our personal experience, it was fine because Bernadette had worked from home for a good bit of time. So I was able to drive her when she needed to. And then even recently, when I was mostly working in the office, she would actually take me to work. And then I would stay in the office and I can walk or, or do my own thing during the day, especially if you're in a downtown environment. So it definitely worked for us in that respect. Yeah, but I think it can, depending on your situation, you know, it can, you can make it work. And I know we had a specific budget around ride sharing apps. So Bernadette would, you know, we would budget whatever, 50 to $100 a month, which it was actually cheaper than getting gas or and paying the insurance. So it actually made sense to drop down to one car and share the rides. And if someone needed to go to a separate location, then they can take a ride sharing app and we had the budget for it. There's two aspects of this decision that I think that she's trying to ask. One is what is the financial things that we have to consider, right? And you talked a little bit about that, which is, you know, what else is going to come into our budget that will be affected by the fact that we only have one car instead of two. And we made this decision back in 2016 uh, when we went down from two cars to one car. That's when I got rid of my beloved little yellow buggy smart car. And for us, it made sense because one car we had was paid for in full and the other car was on a lease and it made sense obviously for us to get rid of the leased one. But to AJ's point, one of the things that we did not anticipate was that when we actually factored in the costs of the monthly lease payment, the maintenance, the annual registrations, the parking and gas, we actually figured out in our case, it was cheaper for me to take an Uber. to a lot of places because I wasn't working in an office five days a week. And in that case, it made sense for us, not only from a convenience standpoint, but also financially, it was actually cheaper for us significantly to have one car, more so than we thought because the other car was already paid off. Right. And these ride-sharing services have a level of convenience. Obviously, you have to plan in advance and make sure you order it on time, but also they just drop you off then and there. You don't have to worry about parking depending on where you live. Of course, you know, if you're in a downtown area that those parking prices and the fees, you know, can add up. Mm -hmm. And I think the other aspect that she's asking about is what were the pros and cons from a convenience standpoint? And what you mentioned were the parking. And for me personally, I would say with the ride sharing apps, it was actually really convenient for me to do that instead of driving to work. Because while I was in the backseat of the Uber, I was able to do other things, you know, check my email, listen to a podcast, catch up on work stuff. And that actually gave me extra time back in my day other than driving, which was huge for me because I own my own business. But, you know, what, what, what would you say are were some of the cons other than, you know, having to reorganize our schedule a little bit. Sure. I think for me personally, for example, when Bernadette would drop me off 
uh, at my job, that, which meant that I didn't obviously did not have a car for that day. So if I needed to take do some run some errands or uh, leave work early to you know go pick up some stuff or even just to go home early, could not do that when I had the flexibility of having the vehicle at my disposal. And I'd have to call Bernadette and then wait for her schedule to free up. So you do lose some of that flexibility. Again, you know, you do have the ride-sharing apps, but however, you know, those do cost money too. I would say I had the same situation because there was a point in time where we had one car and I was working exactly, in an office yeah. and AJ would drop me off. And so I became friends with some of my coworkers and they yeah. would drive me they would drive me to lunch or whatever. And that would that was actually a way for me to make new friends. And then the days that I knew I wasn't gonna go out to eat lunch because there was nowhere around my office to go pick up food. It actually forced me to bring my lunch in, which saved me a lot of money uh, during that time that I was working at another company. Right. That's a great interview question where you took the con and spin it into a positive. I know, right? I'm a, I'm a, I'm a professional HR person. And you know what I would say for you, obviously JC is depending on where you live, how accessible is public transportation. Mm -hmm. If you've got kids, that's definitely another factor to consider. AJ and I don't have kids. So it was definitely easier for us to have one car instead of two, but we actually do live in a more suburban neighborhood. We don't have anywhere that's easily accessible by walking. And a lot of our friends told us that that would be pretty impossible to go down from two cars to one, but we did that decision four years ago and we haven't changed it since then and now that we've even moved to Asheville North Carolina we've still gotten away with having one car the only thing that is really difficult for us at times is if we have something going on at, on the same day and we just have to coordinate a little bit right I think bottom line is that it doesn't hurt to try it right if you you know sell your car now or if it ends on a lease you can always buy or, or, or lease another used car ideally in the future if it doesn't work out i mean there's i mean all kinds of cars that are on the market you can get at your budget and that's been my philosophy the whole time is you know if it doesn't hurt to really try it then might as well because you know you, you there's plenty of plan b's and c's where you can just go back and get another car if it ultimately doesn't work out. That's so true. And I think that goes for a lot of our personal finance advice is right. that a lot of this was trial and error. And you're right. I forgot that when we first made this decision, we said, worst case scenario, we get rid of this car. It doesn't work out. We'll go buy another car if it doesn't work. But four years later, it's worked well. So thank you, JC, for the question. And stay tuned for another question for AJ. Hey guys, it's Bernadette. If you like what you're hearing but want to meet in real life, consider taking my next masterclass or joining my membership at crushyourmoneygoals.com. At Ortho Carolina, my personalized orthopedic care feels like home because video visits bring my provider to me. Ortho Carolina, my care, my way. Schedule your appointment today at orthocarolina.com. Wash your hands, avoid sick people, and touching your face. There are everyday actions to help prevent the spread of respiratory diseases. Visit cdc.gov COVID-19. Brought to you by the National Association of Broadcasters and this station. At Ortho Carolina, my personalized orthopedic care begins with the click of a mouse because online scheduling saves me time. Ortho Carolina, my care, my way. 
Schedule your appointment today at orthocarolina.com. All right. Here is our next question for our special guest, AJ, and it comes from Shirley on Instagram. And she asked, does it make sense to combine your finances when you get married? And what are the pros and cons? I've heard that there are both. I'm really excited to hear what AJ is going to say because I have no idea. Does it make sense to combine your finances when you get married? Yes. He's stalling, guys. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's a, a number of, uh, obviously, I have follow-up questions uh, to cl- clarify the situation. Some of these questions that you might ask yourself is, you know, what's the level of participation that you want to have in your finances? And the pros, and, and again, like you said, the pros and the cons of doing that. I, I think it depends on each individual and group and partnership for us for me personally it made sense for us because we had both times where I was the breadwinner and she she was the one that was had the lower income and then there was definitely times when Bernadette was the breadwinner and I had the lower much lower income and when you think about combining these two, the the two incomes for the household, kind of comes down to what's your vision together. You know, I, I kind of relate it to us being a team. So, like, I don't know if if you're a sports connoisseur, you might understand football team or a basketball team. Each of those individuals get paid differently, right? And Obviously, some like the quarterback might get paid millions of dollars. So, who's Tom Brady right now? I think Bernadette's definitely <laughs> Tom Brady, the goat, right? And then you know, other players on the team might make the the league minimum or very much lower than the Tom Brady's, right? But guess what? It takes the team to win the Super Bowl or, or the championship for that team. You know, if you want to relate it to business, right? The, the CEO, and I know a lot of people have some discrepancy with the CEO's pay, but even on your own team at work, you know, there's definitely people who make more money and definitely people who make less money. You might not know it, uh, but in government, you do know it. But guess what? We're all, they're all together, supposedly trying to reach the goals of that team. So I think for me personally, when you combine the finances for Bernadette and I, depending on whether or not who makes more money, it, it really doesn't matter when that team has, and for us, when we had a goal of paying down the debt or meeting our you know, future goals for financial uh, and lifestyle and otherwise. I am very grateful that he made the team analogy because I think that is the bigger piece that makes sense in combining your finances, especially when you get married. I know a lot of couples who don't combine their finances, and I know actually very few that do 100%. And from our experience, AJ and I have completely combined our finance. There's nothing that he has that I can't see and vice versa. And we make most of our financial decisions together with the exception of him, for example, board games, me 
shoes and clothes. And I think that's where people get hung up on is they think about the 20% of the time that they're making separate decisions and thinking that that's why they shouldn't combine their finances versus the 80% of decisions that are really valuable to make together, not only from pooling the money together, but also the combined talent on a team, right? So you know, almost every couple that I've seen, there is someone who is better at certain things than mm-hmm. others. There's usually someone who's more organized or someone who's, you know, a little more frugal. There's someone who has a bigger picture view that is not dissimilar from a sports team or a corporate team where you're leveraging the talents of everyone on the team. And regardless of the pay of each of those people, those people still have contributions to make that are equally valuable. And it's mm-hmm. not always correlated to who's making more money Mm -hmm. and you know each person should ask themselves why you know there's it's a good question why would you want to keep your finances or your accounts separate right and i have heard i think a lot of people have said oh I, i might want to buy a gift for my significant other and i don't want them to know Okay. (laughs) I'm always like, okay. (laughs) But then I think if you pull back the layers on that also, why there's, that might be however 10% of your money you're spending. Not even. Who's spending 10% on gifts? That's a lot. Oh, that's significant. (laughs) But then the other aspect is, is it really for yourself? Are you trying to keep your own bank account so that you can make your own purchases without the significant other or your partner knowing. Whereas in the team situation, these big goal teams like the the sports teams or the corporate teams, you know, everyone has the open budget, right? You see how much each person is getting paid or how much the company is spending on this, again, to reach that same goal. So I think a, a good question to ask yourself is truly why would you not want to combine your finances? And on that point, I also think there's a big myth out there that if someone doesn't want to share their finances, it's because they don't trust the other person. Mm -hmm. And I found that to be actually very few and far in between. The vast majority of the time that I see when two people don't want to share their finances is not because they don't trust the other person, it's because they're ashamed of their own Mm -hmm. finances. What do you think about that? I agree. I think that's what I alluded to is you don't want to share your finances in terms of how much you're spending or yourself is spending. Or it could be how much debt you have. So I know some couples who actually don't even know what the other person makes. It's true. Yeah. And it's not, again, not because they're trying to hide money from the other person. It's because Mm -hmm. they are not exactly happy where they're at income wise. Mm -hmm. And yeah, and, and being ashamed of it is a factor that can make wrong, bad decisions for that group or that partnership. That couple. And on the point of shame, right, and we talk a lot about this, is that if, a sh- if shame is one of the reasons that you're worried about sharing your finances, that's a real discussion to have before you combine your finances. Mm-hmm. And I think that is a conversation that's really hard for a lot of couples. And I've seen it time and time again where they're avoiding the bigger topic, which is actually not money at all. It's usually something else. It's usually because, let's say, there's a couple that I know that one one person has a significant amount of student loans versus the other person, and the other person paid off all their student loans, and the person who has a ton of student loans 
didn't become a doctor or didn't become a lawyer or whatever it is, but still had the amount of student loans that a doctor or a lawyer would have. And the shame was not around the student loans itself or the amount. The shame was the idea that he wasn't, quote unquote, as successful as he should be, given the amount of education that he had. And that was a conversation that needed to be had between the couple to say, you know, the student loans are here. Uh, the past is the past, you know, what is our goal moving forward? And I think that's the other thing that a lot of people overlook with finances in these conversations is that a lot of it is backwards looking. And I've seen a lot of couples where they are still feeling some sort of way about a financial decision or otherwise that someone made a long time ago and carrying that forward into their new plan. And I will say, you know, for myself, right, I had a lot of shame and guilt around my student loans when I realized how much I had. And I talk about it in the first season of the podcast where I tell AJ, you know, I really fucked up here. I took out all these student loans. I have no idea that how we're going to pay it off. And I feel really guilty about the fact that I've put us into this situation. And so my first instinct was to say, you don't have to worry about it. I'm going to figure this out on my own. And luckily for me, AJ, you know, took the approach of what we're talking about now, which is we're a team. And even though you took on the student loans, I know that it's going to pay off and, you know, you don't have to do it alone. Mm -hmm. And the one benefit that you had there and you who's not afraid to share things with people and many people might not believe me when I say this, but having that shame and sharing it with your significant other can actually strengthen your relationship mm -hmm. with that person. Uh, as you mentioned, if you did not share that with me, then I would not have known you, you were struggling with this. I would not have known how to help you. You would have internalized it. Uh, and then I would have my own, I have my own personal things that I would internalize. And again, sharing this, you know, if you have shame, or, you know, the debt that you might be hiding from somebody, I would be willing to say if, if you share that with your significant other and they are now willing to help you, then this would strengthen the relationship and maybe you did find the right partner versus if you're hiding this from your partner and they will shame you even more or tear you down even more and blame you, then maybe that's not the right person you know, oh. you want to be... It is coming spending, out guns a-blazing. You know, I wasn't going to say it, but yeah. But let's end this on a positive note because we talk a lot about shame here. What are some pros that you found, aside from us, you know, pooling our superpowers together and having a greater pool of money to work from? What are some other pros that you've seen in us combining our finances versus keeping them separate? Along with strengthening our relationship, both the financial relationship and family relationship. Uh, some of the pros that I've seen is the transparency and the communication. We have been able to be clear with, hey, we're, I'm going to buy this for the house or I'm going to buy this board game. Or, or 20 this. board games like he did since Black Friday. <laughs> yeah, and, and Bernadette had to, be, uh, had to be okay with it. <laughs> I was up front. I told her we're going, coming back to, to Charlotte. I'm going to go shopping on the Black Friday because I know there's going to be some deals coming up. So that transparency and honesty. I think that's a good point, though, actually, because a lot of people, what makes couples angry about spending, it's after the fact, and they weren't mm -hmm. warned about it. You 
to be fair, you've always given me fair warning. You're like, I'm going to the board game store. I'm coming back with a bunch of shit. And it is what it is. And same thing for me. I go to the mall and I'm like, you already know what's going to happen when I go to the mall. So don't be surprised when I come back with a bunch of stuff. Right. So mm-hmm. I think that's a really good point. And there's got to be a, a level of parity as well. You know, I, one person cannot just be buying the clothes and the shoes while the other person, you know, has to suck it up and not spend any money to meet the budget. There has to be some back and forth. So I think there's a level of, you know, if Bernadette knows that I want to go buy this things, then she may not want to curb her. She may want to curb her spending on some other things and then and vice versa so that we both, again, bottom line, meet our, our objectives and goals. I think on that point of having the pooled expenses has allowed both of us to pursue things that we really care about that actually have nothing to do with each other mm-hmm. and being able to actually root for each other. So for me, AJ fully sees what I spend on building my business and what I spend on things like this podcast production and you know being able to do marketing and all of those types of things. And it's very clear what I'm spending on it, but he knows it's something that I love. And similarly with him, the board games, right? He has a budget line item every month for board games, and there's no there's no back and forth of like, well, you shouldn't be buying buying board games because we don't need it or whatever. I'm actually very excited for him every time he does go do that because it's something that he really cares about, and I want us to see that our budget reflects what matters to each of us, and it doesn't have to be the same thing. And I think that's where a lot of people get confused about budgeting as a couple as well is that you can't have your own separate goals. We actually have very separate goals in a lot of different areas in our life, and we allocate for that. And the difference is we don't hide it or we don't try to say, well, this is my money or this is your money. It's our money together, but it's it's fueling each of our personal passions. Mm-hmm. And ultimately building a business around those passions. Is this way? Is this your way of plugging your future board game business? <laughs> Whatever it might be, you know, as it comes along. And, you know, I think the last pro that I would say that has really changed the game for our finances is by combining our finances, we're able to look way more forward-looking and look at the bigger picture of what we want to do with our life, not just our money, five years from now, 10 years now, from now, 20 years from now. And you know, at the time that we're recording this podcast, AJ and I will you know, be on our way to our first million dollars of net worth. And it would have been infinitely harder, I honestly believe it, if we had tried to do it separately, if we each tried to build our own million dollars of net worth, because now we have this pool of resources that we can then use to build our next million dollars. So our first goal was to have a million dollars of net worth between the two of us. And then our next goal is to have a million dollars of net worth for each of us. But that first million dollars, if we just tried to do it separately, would have been so much harder, don't you think? Mm-hmm. You said it very well said. <laughs> this is this is basically how our conversations go. I say, I tell him that I'm going to let him talk a lot, and then I just end up talking, and then he just nods in agreement. So thank you so much, Shirley, for your question. This was a really, really great one, and I'm glad that you asked it because I think a lot of people struggle with this. And stay tuned for our next question with AJ. Get ready. Broadway is returning to Charlotte. Blumenthal Performing Arts has an incredible selection of upcoming hits, including the returns of Hamilton and Wicked. 
plus the long-awaited Charlotte debut of Disney's Frozen and many more fan-favorite musicals and plays. Season tickets are on sale now at BloomenthalArts.org slash BPA Broadway. At Ortho Carolina, personalized orthopedic care goes beyond my appointment. Accessible, comprehensive, and compassionate. It's my care, my way. Schedule your appointment today at orthocarolina.com. Our last question for AJ. It's come in various forms, so I'm just going to summarize it because I heard it from multiple people, which is, do you have any tips for couples where the income disparity or maybe disparity is not the right word, but the income gap is pretty wide. And how do you overcome, you know, one person making more money than the other, which is somewhat related to our first question. How do you overcome when one person makes more than the other? Mm -hmm. So what are the goals that you're trying to do? You're asking me? Yeah, I'm just (laughs) clarifying questions. I always have clarifying questions. So I guess the summary question is, how do you conquer finances together when one person makes more than the other? And this is a great question because, as AJ mentioned earlier, there has been times in our 10 mm-hmm. years of marriage where one of us has made more money than the other, and there has Both been significant, significant yeah. and, and pretty significant. I mean, at points double or triple, right? And, and to the point, there was actually a CNBC article about me this year, and I had no idea that they were going to take this angle on it, but they titled it, My Partner Makes Three Times More My Salary. And here is how we do our finances. And I was like, I don't know how I feel about it. But after the fact, I realized, you know what? I shouldn't have any shame about that. I'm actually very grateful that I have a partner who is willing to support me and vice versa. So this is supposed to be Ask AJ. My bad. So AJ, (laughs) what are your thoughts on tips for couples where one person makes more than the other and how to best tackle finances together? So I'll start off with my personal experience. So early on in our marriage, I was a real estate agent in New York City, one of the hardest places to be a real estate agent because you've got brokers out of the wazoo. Everybody can... If you guys know a million-dollar listing, AJ had to go toe-to-toe with some of these guys from that show. Yeah, I I wouldn't say toe-to-toe, but I I was never on the show, but I do have some of my former colleagues who are on the show but I have met a couple of them during my time there. But anyways, during that time, I was making significantly less because it was all pure commission-based. Uh, it was how much money you earned uh, from my hard work personally, of course, with the uh, the company that I was working with, where Bernadette was in a corporate job in New York City, you know, Goldman Sachs, J.P. Morgan, and knowing that we had to live in New York City for both of us while we were working, it was hard for me to be making significantly less, not only from her, her comparatively, but my personal income. To, to go work as a broker, I quit my corporate job and started doing that full-time. So I was making far less than I was before at that time. Like way less. Right, because it was all commission-based from a sales-based job in New York City where expenses were very high. Like a quarter less. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Obviously, she still remembers this. this. For me, that was a challenge because was I pulling my weight, right? That was the biggest challenge. 
having a eighteen hundred plus dollar rent for not even being in Manhattan. Was I able to afford that on my own without Bernadette, right? That's always what you, how you question yourself. Even back then, I think that's where I started my team mentality. I had to accept the fact that I was making far less and I would not have been able to afford, honestly, my own rent in New York City if I was doing this on my own. So fortunately, I was humbled from the very beginning. So again, making far less than I was, could not, I would have to have probably three or four roommates living in the Lower East Side to be able to make that work for me. So I was very grateful that, you know, Bernadette was able to quote unquote support us. And I was able to just even make up some of the differences for our expenses. So with that humbling experience, now fast forward however many years, almost 10 years now that we've, uh, we've been married and like what we've said before, it's, it switched places between here and there from 10 years ago to now where we both have made significantly more than the other person and vice versa. Can I share my side? Sure. Well, before I get to that, yeah. (laughs) Well, I'm just going to say, you know, on the flip side, the roles have been reversed for the last couple of years because, you know, and you guys know this, a couple of years ago, I decided to quit my corporate day job and go into my own business. And then that business shut down and then went into this business that I do now with Crush Your Money Goals. And every step along the way, AJ has kind of bared the weight of the income while I built this business. And I'm very, very grateful for that because I think I would have had to run a completely different kind of business if I had to 100% rely on our my income for our living expenses. And a lot of, I'm going to say a lot of the success I've had so far business-wise can be attributed to AJ's support of basically talking me out every time where I was about to quit and go back to corporate life. He said... I got it. Don't worry. You keep building your business. It's going to pay off. It's just a matter of sticking it out. And I wouldn't have been able to stick it out if not for AJ taking the taking the lion's share of, you know, floating our finances. I think also it did help that we both were on board about paying off our debt and that made it a significant difference in us being able to manage off of one income essentially over the last 10 years. I mean, there's, there's been very few times that actually both of us were like gainfully employed. Now that I think about it in the last 10 years, there's been very few, maybe three of this 10 years that we both actually had full-time jobs. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. So, you know, we've been able to do that. And I think it comes back to what we've talked about earlier about the mentality of having this as a team effort versus individually. But I digress. Go ahead. Continue your thought. No, I agree. I think the team the team effort plus the long-term goals that we had in mind. Uh, and I know if, for example, if we both were, quote-unquote, gainfully employed by corporations, I mean, in normal standards, you know, we'd be killing it as a couple with no kids, uh, you know, corporate jobs. But that was not the life that we wanted to live 10 years. You know, neither of us wanted to be the CEO of a company or executive directors, you know, we wanted to, you know, have our own own careers, but also, you know, whether it's entrepreneurship or 
just having a simple life. So neither of us wanted to you know, have that workaholic, you know, I want to strive to be the CEO of XYZ Corporation one day. Mm-hmm. So, you know, having that in mind, it made me also consider, hey, if Bernadette wanted to quit her corporate job, even though she was making more money than I was, for example, in my corporate job, when we first moved to Charlotte, the first few years in Charlotte, she was making a good bit more than I was. And we both had corporate jobs and she does, she wanted to quit her corporate job. And, uh, and again, I can float our finances with my, uh, with my job, knowing that, hey, we don't want to be, we, or we don't need to be the CEOs of these corporations. Well, I don't even think CEO have to go all the way to that point, right? Like not everyone wants to be a CEO, right. but both of us have made six-figure salaries in our lifetimes, and both of us have been willing to quit it mm-hmm. <laughs> at some point, right? So I think there is a piece of the question, going back to the original question of like, what do you do when someone makes significantly more money than the other person and how to combine your finances is, what is the big attachment to the big income and the salary? Is it because you truly need that income in order to live your lifestyle? Is it because it's a pride thing? Is it because it's a measure of your self-worth? Like what are the pieces that are going into that? And, you know, for the couples that I'm going to, and we're going to take a twist here for a second because I'm going to, I'm going to venture to say that the majority of the time, and it's not always, right? But every time I've been asked this question, it's usually the female who's making less if it's a heterosexual couple, right? And I will say from a personal perspective how how many times I have gotten commentary from people saying, well, you're able to do what, what you do because your husband is XYZ or he does this or he makes enough money or whatever. And especially because our story is so public, <laughs> you can search it on the internet, right? And there's an article where we talk about, yeah, I there's a point where I was making 30000 and AJ was making 90000 and that's when we were actually paying off our debt. And the commentary from people saying, well – you know, lucky for you that your husband does this, that, or the other. But that commentary, I don't know that would have happened if it was the other way around, if it was me making more money and AJ making less, which actually happened in our in our story, but it wasn't part of that particular publication. And so I think it goes back to there is a lot of other dynamics that are put into play here when it comes to, you know, gender roles and, you know, who is going to take their responsibility for, you know, the family obligations and all of that stuff. And and I think one of the things that AJ and I have always sorted out is that regardless of who's making more money, we are still equally responsible for everything that goes on in our household, right? So whether or not, you know, I'm the one paying the mortgage or he's the one paying the mortgage, we're still both responsible for upkeeping the house. Like, it's not like we're leave it to beaver where one of us, oh, just because you make the money, like you don't have to do the laundry mm-hmm. <laughs> kind of thing. And and even with the disparity with incomes, whether it's the male or, or the female or, you know, that's both on one side or the other. I think the the idea is, again, the team dynamic. One person, even though they might be making much less money, but they are very good with money. That doesn't just because you're making less doesn't mean you're good with money, right? Depending or on vice the job, versa. right? Yeah. Exactly. Each person brings their own uh, skills and uh, value add to that dynamic. Uh, so I think you have to consider that as part of the equation rather than just thinking, oh, just because 
X, Y, X person makes much more money and Y person doesn't make money, then X person controls all that money. That is definitely not the, the mindset. Yeah. Uh, and also we, we could, have. we could take the, the other way too to say like, if you're the one who's making less money and you're spending all the money, that's also <laughs> probably a problem as well. But I have, we have seen a lot of that dynamic within other couples where the person who makes significantly more money gets to make all the financial Listen, decisions. Yeah, and no. we just don't agree with that. We've never operated like that in our marriage. And we think that, you know, in terms of practical steps. So what are some like actual practical steps people can do if one person is making more money than the other and organizing their finances? Again, that some of the practical step is to combine your finances. And if it's in, you know, as minimal bank accounts as possible, then you can kind of see it together as a team rather than having two separate accounts where one person's income all is going to one account and the other person's income is going all to this account. Then it kind of keeps that dynamic even separated when, you know, hey, I only c- I have control of this account, which obviously has more income coming to it versus you have control of this account, which has less income. Then you have a big disparity, which can ultimately cause a lot of miscommunication or diverging interests and diverging paths uh, on the money journey. Yeah. And I would say two other tips that I would give is one, to really look at what your goals are together and establish what those goals are on a yearly basis. AJ and I do that every year where we sit down and say, okay, for this year, what do we want to accomplish with our money? And that really helps us figure out then what do we need to do to actually streamline. So as an example, this year we wanted to max out his 401k in both our IRAs. It required us to have complete transparency as to where the money was. And one of the little things that was helpful in us combining our finances was that I saw that, for example, AJ had three different 401ks from previous employers. And because I saw that, you know, I asked him like, you know, can you check in to see if there's a way to combine this? And it turns out we had some money savings um, from combining those accounts. And because I because we can see everything that the other person is doing, it actually has two sets of eyes instead of one set of eyes looking uh, across all the different things that you have to manage as a couple. And then the other piece that I would say that would be super helpful is if you are in a situation where you do have dual incomes, one of the best things that, that has ever happened to us is that we have learned how to live on one income. And... Now we're at a point where we're able to live on the lesser of the two incomes and the higher income is the one that's going towards all of our goals for the future. Whereas in the beginning, it was our higher income that was going towards all of our expenses. But because we've built that that discipline over the last couple of years, it doesn't really feel like we have two separate incomes anymore. We kind of take, okay, whoever has the income that can cover our bills, that's what we'll use. And then the other income is going straight towards the stuff that we really care about. Mm-hmm. And also I would add just I'm a, a relator as well. Another perspective to think about that is a lot of people may have some stocks and, and bonds or if you think about it from a, a large corporation standpoint, it's like managing a portfolio. Oh, I like that. Right. Like you have some stocks that might be making or some ETFs or whatnot, too, that are making much less. <laughs> He's trying to think of like financial <laughs> terms right now. He's like, what fancy words can I use right now? Or even a portfolio of businesses, right? This one umbrella corporation, this line of business might be making less and th- against this other line of business that would be making more. And then 
but that umbrella corporation has the same goal, right? Is to whatever for them is to make more, to make money in general. Mm-hmm. No matter what your portfolio is, now you can actually look at, hey, these are some of the specific items that you want to address to continue to increase you know, or maximize your goals. So if you notice, hey, that's, I guess, another pro is like if you look at it from a portfolio perspective, hey, if this person is making less money than this person, you know, if we want to reach a certain goal, then what can we do? Maybe we enhance the skills of this other person uh, so that they can get a higher paying, higher wage job, mm-hmm. right? Or if this person is spending, you know, more money but making a whole lot more, maybe that's the focus and say, hey, this person you know, let's curb some of the spending and put it more on a tighter budget. So actually helping and, and seeing it from that perspective, another pro is you can actually identify some of the, the issues that you might be having financially and, and address them in that manner. And the last piece that I'll say is that if you want to take this analogy of being a company and considering your household a company is that I've always considered that AJ has been the COO of our company, the chief operating officer, because he makes sure that everything runs smoothly. And he's actually really good at that from a from a skill set perspective. He's a project manager by his day job. And so he's really good at organizing and coordinating and doing all those things that need to make our household run effectively. And I've always considered myself the CFO because obviously that's what I do for a living as well. And I'm really focused on revenue streams and making sure that we are, you know, not in the red. And you know all the financial terms. And I, I and I have an MBA, so I yes, guess <laughs> I guess that qualifies me as a CFO. But I've always considered both of us to be the CEOs. Like neither of us are the CEO. And I think a lot of other households seem to run as though someone is the CEO and someone else is the assistant or someone's the CEO and someone else is the COO and and ultimately in that structure a CEO gets to always have the final say but in our structure we both have the final say but we use our skill sets respectively to make those decisions work right and if even if you did have a CEO in your household I would you know I would relate both of us being ultimately the uh, the board of directors right oh he's gonna take it up another notch now right? we're just you know, well, just trying to flex his because a lot corporate. of people no, no no a lot of people <laughs> might think well you know a company can't have mul- multiple CEOs, CEOs that's right that's fair that's fair but a company can have multiple and boards, should have multiple right, board, of directors. board of directors and shareholders ultimately right and maybe even if you have kids the kids should be part of the board of directors and so yeah absolutely they should be a part of the, the overall picture because then again you can we can fire the CEO, so that's, <laughs> that's the, the, the oh, that's true of the board of directors. All right, I like that. I, you're right. I like your analogy better. We're going to be the board of directors instead of this dual CEOs. You win. All right. Well, that's one for one um, one for every million. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for several of you who submitted that question. I really appreciate the fact that you guys have taken the time to sit with me and AJ today. Thank you to AJ for getting on the mic today unprompted. Any last words to give to our audience? No, I'd be happy to share my thoughts at any time. So feel free to keep asking me more questions. And <laughs> he wants maybe, to come back already. <laughs> well, maybe I'll uh, I'll make us another surprise guest appearance. <laughs> It's been fun. Thank you for having me. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for listening to today's episode. And stay tuned for another episode of Dear Bernadette Joy. (laughs) 
Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Dear Bernadette Joy. Now I'm going to ask you for three quick favors. One is to leave a review and let us know what you liked about this episode. Two is to follow on all social media at Bernadette Joy and submit your questions to be featured in a future episode. And three, if you want to actually meet in real life and learn how to crush your money goals, visit my website at crushyourmoneygoals.com.